Well, good morning. My name is Slim. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Mosaic. So, so glad you are all here this morning. Um, we have a fun, fun sermon this morning as we look at Isaiah 29. We're going to discover the five signs that you're a hypocrite. Chipper message we're all excited for. I know this is why you all came out, um, which is kind of a heavy message in general, but it's also a really hard message because it's really easy to see the hypocrisy in others. That's easy to see. What's really hard is seeing the hypocrisy in ourselves. Yes, that is the task before us. Um, one day, Robert Redford, a famous actor, maybe you've seen in movies such like this, um, um, was, was walking through a hotel lobby, and as he was walking through the lobby, a woman recognized him, and, and out of excitement, burst across the lobby to, to approach him, and she's just gushing, and he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, are you Robert Redford? Are you the real Robert Redford? And he's just like, oh gosh. <laughs> and he kind of ignores her. He gets in the elevator, and as the elevator closes, and she says, are you the real Robert Redford? He says, only when I'm alone. And then that's all she heard. <laughs> kind of a rude thing to say, but also, <laughs> whoa, that's the sermon right there, right? Like, <laughs> are you the real you? Only when I'm alone. And what that, what that is conveying, at least for, for Robert Redford here, is that he has to be on all the time. That he has to have this, this public persona to, to, to live up to when he's in public. He has to be the actor. He has to be the celebrity. And he can't just be himself. And I would say that for many of us, um, we, are, we are on stage all the time. Even when we're not on a stage. Just by being in a room full of people, we are on. Even when we're by ourselves, we are on because of what we have to put on social media to profess of who we, are, who we are, and we have to be on. We have to project an image. And I think many times, um, us pastors hear in one of the, the biggest objections to the faith that, that someone might tell me and say, hey, I don't go to church because the church is full of... Oh, so discouraging. <laughs> How many times have you heard that? All the time, right? And, and part of us, want, you know, the, the, the knee-jerk response that sometimes is to go like, yeah, well, if you're pointing the finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you, you know, and just to like really emphasize that we're all hypocrites. I don't think that's a helpful response to someone saying that. Um, I think if someone says, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites, I think we have to go, I'm sorry. Absolutely right. You are absolutely right. And I think many of us, maybe that are here today, have experienced that, have experienced someone projecting someone else and internally are someone else. Um, many of us have, have felt the real disappointment of those who claim to follow Jesus and yet have really, really hurt you have really, really let you down. And maybe, maybe that was someone that was, that, was, that was your leader. Maybe that was a youth leader who really, really hurt you. Maybe that was a, a mom and dad who, who brought you to church. And at church, they acted one way. But the minute we got home, it's very, very different. And so we can just see the hypocrisy in the church. 
The word, the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word uh, hypocrites, uh, one who hides behind a mask, right? And so in ancient theater, uh, these actors would often play multiple roles, and to distinguish what role they're playing, they're wearing a different mask. And so they would hide behind these masks. And I would say, spiritually speaking, we would say that a hypocrite is a person who pretends to be someone they are not. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be someone they are not. It's, it's not just, uh, just pretending, though, although that's part of it, but it's pretending and then uh, to be someone they're not and then secretly doing something else. And so they're, they are, they're doing the opposite of what they preach. They're talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk, right? And so just so we're clear, we, we as a church believe that we're all sinners. And so this is not just talking about sin, like every person sins, but what a hypocrite is, is someone who pretends like they don't sin, who pretends like they don't smell, who pretends as if they are excused from that. And so really it's the sin of fraud. It's the sin of fraud is the sin of hypocrisy. And so Isaiah 29 begins identifying who the hypocrites are uh, in this, this passage here. In verse 1 it says, Woe to Ariel. Uh, this is a, it's a, it's a woe of, of warning. A woe of warning. It's like this distress signal, this SOS that is sent from sinking ships. Warning, warning, warning. Warning to Ariel. And not, not the mermaid, as we all are thinking, right, right? Uh, Ariel is the nickname for Jerusalem. Woe to Jerusalem. And he, Isaiah uses the term Ariel sarcastically to emphasize the great chasm of who Jerusalem is claiming to be and who they actually are. And so Ariel could mean uh, an altar hearth where the, the burnt sacrifice, the stone sacrifice where the burnt offerings were laid and burned up. Um, and, and so he could be saying something like, you are going to be the sacrifice. You're at, you're at the city where the temple is and you yourselves will become the burnt sacrifice. So he could be saying that or others think, you know, the Ariel means lion of God, lion of God. Uh, and, and what it, he's maybe saying here is that they sure aren't acting like that. They sure are not acting and living up to that standard. They are pretenders. They're fakers. They're hypocrites. And so the five signs that you might be a hypocrite from Isaiah 29, uh, the first sign is a divorced mouth and heart. A divorced mouth and heart. And maybe I think one of the most important passages from this passage is from verse 13. It says, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. And so notice a few things that, that God is saying here. That the people are going to church. They're going to the temple. They're there. That's a win, right? They're there. Um, they're coming near to God, and some translations say, you know, they're, they're, they're honoring me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And so what it is saying is that their mouths are professing the, the confessions of faith. They're, they're singing the songs that we are singing, but their hearts are nowhere near God. We can say, I mean, we can say this all the time, right? You've probably heard this. Someone say, you know, praying for you. Maybe you've said this, praying for you. Did we? I confess now, I've not prayed for every person I've said praying for. You ever do that? Or if someone says, how are you doing? 
Maybe you don't use these, this phrase, but you do something like this, but I've heard this before. How you doing? I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm not canceling that phrase. <laughs> but are you? Are you too blessed to be stressed? While internally, you're like drowning. Like the body keeps the score and you start noticing those things. You're like, I am not stressed, too blessed to be stressed. I'm full of stress. Am I blessed? Right? Like these are things that we have to ask. And so what's scary though is that Jesus actually quotes this Isaiah 29 verse here in Mark 7. Um, And for background, the Pharisees and the teachers uh, of the law are coming to Jesus and are are basically saying, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Um, It's getting pretty dirty out here. And and let me just say this, I'm all for hygiene. (laughs) Um, Side note, I think we have an epidemic in Waco um, in the men's bathrooms. Like, it's, it's like a war zone out there. It is so gross. And so if, if you only have one application to walk away from the sermon, men, just, just be better. Um, simply be better, men, and you can walk away. Um, so hygiene is good and great. Uh, but what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are, are doing is they were taking this application of this, uh, this law that was given to the priests to, to meticulously wash their hands, these very extensive practices of washing uh, that they would do when they were dealing with the holy elements. And they would now say this is now applicable to every single person. And if you didn't wash in those specific ways, you are now judged unworthy. That you are morally at fault. And so now Jesus shows up in verse 6. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Gosh, (laughs) Jesus is never more direct than he is with the hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's saying, that washing that you're doing, that's for you. That's not for me. Like, (laughs) Jesus is calling out how fake they are. Later, he rebukes them for just wanting to wash the outside of the cup, but leaving the inside filthy. That the, you wash the outside, you appear to be holy, but the inside is putrid. It is rancid milk. It's curdled. And so the first sign of a hypocrite is one who divorces the mouth from the heart. You say one thing and you do another. And so hypocrites want to look good. The second Sign of a hypocrite is a hypocrite lies, lies, and lies some more. If a hypocrite is an actor, well, um, one way of describing acting is by being a professional liar. To get up there and to really own the character and to really make others believe that you are that person. Some of the best actors and actresses do that so well, and you're like, I'm worried about you. <laughs> they're, they're professional liars. They lie, but hypocrites lie to themselves first. They lie to themselves. They lie to others, and they lie. They attempt to lie to God. Verse 11 says this. If you give the scroll to someone who can, who can read and say, read this, please, and they'll answer it, I can't. It's sealed. Or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I don't know how to read. And Isaiah is not dealing with Tim Robinson, 
who would say something like, I don't know how to drive. Um, he's dealing with someone who is coming up with all the excuses of why they are not reading the scrolls of God. In effect, he's saying, if we actually loved the word of God, we would make time for it. We would actually do this. But the person says, hmm, that scroll seems like a lot of work to open up. Or the other person says, ah, I just can't read. And it's lies. It's lies. It's coming up with reasons for why we don't worship. It's coming up with reasons for why we don't pray. For why we don't read God's word. Like we all make time for what's most important to us. We all do that. And I want to be clear, this is not a, a guilt trip to get us to then start reading our Bibles more. I think this is just the particular occasion that Isaiah is calling out right here. Uh, because we lie about everything. We lie to ourselves about everything. And these lies are so dangerous. Verse 9 says this, Blind yourselves and be sightless. Or other translations say, blind yourselves and be blind. And what that is saying there is that when you lie to yourself so much, it's like you're blinding yourself. When you blind yourself, you're choosing to cover the truth of, of what is out there. And one thing that's true about masks is if you wear masks long enough, they can start to stick to your face. They can start to become a part of you. To where it's hard to distinguish between the mask in the skin. It, it, it forms upon you. You can't get it off of you. The mask becomes who you are. And so you've lied to yourself so much that you can't hear the truth. And so what this means is we can become blind to the truth by choice. That we've chosen it. That we've chosen this lie. And now the lie has blinded us by habit, and we embrace the lie to the point where the truth and the lie are, are, it's hard to tell the difference. Now, the third sign that you might be a hypocrite is that you are cynical. Now, this third sign doesn't really sound like it might apply to, the, you know, to being a hypocrite, but let me see if I can share with you why I think it does. Uh, verse 11 begins this way. For you, the, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. You ever have someone just say, like, this is just nothing but words. This book is just, just words. Nothing but words. That's all. There's no way this is God's word given to us. These are just words. That's all it is, because a, a cynic is a mocker. A cynic is a critic. It's someone who claims to have all the information and can see right through all of it in the world. See right through everyone's facade. The cynic says that I can see right through it all. And cynicism begins not because you don't care. I think cynicism begins because you do care. And it starts when you've poured out your heart uh, to something, to, to someone, and you got burned and because you got hurt or burned, you now doubt everything and everyone around you. It becomes a tool to protect yourself. It becomes another mask. Paul Miller um, says it this way. He says, To be cynical is to be distant. While offering a false intimacy of being in the know, cynicism actually destroys intimacy. 
It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. Behind every silver lining is a cloud. Cynicism is a perverse version of being in the world, but not of the world. And so are you seeing how cynicism is one outlet for the hypocrite? The cynic is trying to see through everything, to see everything that has an angle and a bias. And why is the cynic always looking for that? Because it's a, it's a way to protect themselves. It's a way to hide themselves behind this mask so that they don't get burned again. It's a measure of safety. But I want to say that even in our cynicism, even our cynicism can blind us. We can become blind to becoming cynical about everything till we can now no longer find hope. When we become cynical about one thing and we can become cynical about many things, it feels like we can no longer find hope, we can no longer find joy, we can no longer have wonder in the world. Some of us may be feeling that today. Is that where you're at? And I think what, what happens is when you get to that point, then that moves into the fourth point of what it means to, to be a hypocrite, is it moves us into routine, obligatory worship. When you're cynical about life, about the God, about Bible, about the church, worship just feels different, yeah? It's kind of hard to worship when you're questioning everything and everyone and thinking, oh, that's, that's you know, the, they have an ulterior motive here. Like, it, it becomes very difficult, it, it's, it's a worship that doesn't expect God to show up. Verse 1, let's go back to verse 1. It says, Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled. Add year to year and let your cycle of festivals go on. And what it's saying there is it's just another feast coming. Just another year. Just another Christmas. Just another Easter we're about to partake of. This is just another thing to do on our calendar. One more thing to do, one more thing to endure, not encountering God. Like, they go to worship, but they don't expect God to show up. Like, they, they, they are, they're like the dad uh, in the movie Elf, where at the very end, they're all singing, Santa Claus is coming to town, and the dad is just mumbling the words, and even his son calls him, calls him out and says, you're not even singing it. You're just mumbling it. That is us at church sometimes, where we're just, we're just mumbling it. And we don't have it deep down in our hearts. Like, is worship just something we just want to check off the box? Like, came to, came to Sunday worship, check. I did my duty. Now I have 15 other things to do today, so can you hurry it up, Slim? Right? Check. Is that how we, 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 we see worship? Like, it's one of the, the, the many things we have to do today. Or is it we come here to encounter the God of the universe? Like, this is where we get to do it. And we get to have others encourage us in that and spur us on. And so I think sometimes we, we make excuses for our cold, metallic worship. Not y'all. Churches, churches, other churches. <laughs> and we may blame it on the band. Not today's band. Uh, <laughs> or ever, uh, we, we blame it on, on someone and we go, hmm, something was off today. It just didn't move me. Slim just, he wasn't, he wasn't on, on his game today. Let me read to you the second half of verse 13. It says, their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. 
I think when we reduce worship to our cultural's, our culture's rules of what is and isn't good, good worship, I think we now ha- are, are starting to ignore that we could be encountering the God of the universe. Like when we are basing our worship off of what someone else does, it puts us in this consumer mindset. I know I'm tempted there all the time. Like this consumer mindset of just going through the motions and now we become prisoners to how others perform on a stage instead of just coming to God and worship, right? Like we, you, we could worship every Sunday based whether or not people are on. All right, so the fifth and final sign that, that you might be a hypocrite is from Isaiah 29, and this is that you live a double life. I know this is kind of similar to some of the things we've said before, but I think we really have to hit this here. Because remember, being a hypocrite isn't just doing some things half-hearted or just committing sin. A hypocrite says one thing and does the opposite of what they preach. And so verse 15 says this, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? Hypocrites operate in the dark. Hypocrites operate in the dark. Because sin is formed in the dark. It's so easy for sin to fester and operate freely in the dark, where no one else sees, where no one else might challenge us. And so if there's a secret sin in your life, and there's a, there's a distinction between the church you and the real you, then we are living a double life. It's playing with unholiness while putting on the mask of godliness. And so even if we don't say it functionally, I think many of us actually believe that verse. Who sees us? Who will know? And we deep down know that God knows, that God does see us. And that Luke, Jesus actually says it himself in Luke 12. He says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Does that scare you? This is the composite picture of the five signs of a hypocrite, one who divorces their mouth from their heart, who's riddled with lies, they're cynical, they routine obligatory worship, and they live a double life. And so this is the picture of a hypocrite. And I think Isaiah wants to hold this picture up to us as like a mirror and ask, do you see yourself? Do you see at least one or some of these active in your life and he doesn't do this to beat you up he does this to show you the way out to show you the way out of hypocrisy and what's the way out well if hypocrisy at its root is lies then the cure for hypocrisy is truth right if if hypocrisy is is really it's it's the it's the person who wears masks then the cure for hypocrisy is simply to take off the mask. 
to say, this is who I really am. In public and in private, to be the same person. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, I would say that's good. Because that means you have a little bit of self-awareness that something may be off. Because as we said before, it's so easy for us to see the hypocrisy in others, but it's really, really hard for us to see it in ourselves, me included. But if we can start to see it, if we can start to be a little self-aware and ask, is this in me? Am I living a double life? Once you can see that, once you can actually, for once, be honest with yourself and be true with yourself, then you can actually be honest with God. Then you can be honest with the people around you. And so the application to today's sermon is, quit the show. Take the mask off. Like, be the real you. I know it's a vulnerable place to be to tell someone, hey, I'm struggling with an alcohol problem. Or, hey, I'm addicted to fill in the blank. And how many options are there for us? I know it's a very vulnerable place to be that, to, to, to say that I am coming undone. I am just riddled with doubts. I don't even know if I believe anymore. That's a scary place to, to, to profess to someone. And right now, if you've, been, if you've been the actor and you've been putting on a show for so long, that, that application can feel like a recommendation to just endure shame. And that's absolutely not true. That is the voice of your prison guard who wants you to stay in prison. Don't listen to that voice. He wants you to stay locked up. Because John 8, 32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because there is freedom in truth. There is is beauty in truth. There is freedom in taking the mask off. There is freedom in finally being honest. Finally being honest with yourself that this is true of me. Because when you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. When you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. And that truth is going to clear a path for the beautiful work that it's about to begin. And once someone takes off their masks, their mask, it now gives permission to the people around you to take their masks off as well. Because truth begets truth. Vulnerability is going to beget vulnerability. People around you will go, okay, I can be real with you as well. It's, it's inviting others into that. And if we don't let the hard truths come out, then we don't get to hear the good news come in. The way out of hypocrisy is truth. It's letting God call us out. That you are only as free as you are honest. You are only as free as you are honest. And sometimes God lets us experience the consequences of our hypocrisy and sin to bring us to a place of desperation so that we can finally reach out in hope and say, God, I need you. And the beautiful thing about this is we have a God of hope. In verse 18, he says, In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. And in what day is that? In that day, what day is that? Well, what happened when Jesus comes onto the scene? What are the miracles that he does? He heals the deaf. He makes the blind see. What Jesus is doing is not just picking random miracles out of the crowd. He is fulfilling this this redemptive historical prophecy that has been prophesied hundreds of years ago that we can come out of the gloom. And so what this means is, 
is that when you are wanting a way out of being fake, the way out is by coming to Jesus and being honest about who you are. Then the darkness can subside. Then, then you can come out of the gloom. Then we can break addictions. And why would you feel confident coming to Jesus, even with that hard stuff? Because I want you to see this. Even while Jesus was being killed, even while evil men were beating him and spitting on him, even while the religious leaders, the hypocrites who claimed to be righteous and killed the Son of God, while they were doing that, and while they're pretending to be God-fearing and use their pretension and their hypocrisy to put the Son of God to death, even while all that is happening, what does Jesus say on the cross? In Luke 23, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. While dying on the cross, looking at the hypocrites, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They are blind in their own hypocrisy. They can't see out of it. Now, I want you to notice this. Did he forgive them after they groveled and begged? They're in the act of killing him. And he, he, he begins with grace. That's the radical nature of grace. He begins with grace and says, Father, forgive them before they even responded. While they're doing the very thing that is evil. That's how grace works. That grace comes first. And I just wanted you to see how beautiful that is. That the, the, the grace comes before the response. The grace moves us to response. There is freedom in there. There's freedom in Christ. And, and that shows me that I can be honest with who I am. Because he's not going to cast me away. As we sung before, do not cast me away, O gentle Savior. I know I won't be cast away because he didn't cast them away. Jesus loves me as I am. Do you believe that? That Jesus loves me as I am. Yes, he loves me too much to leave me where I am. And we all know that. We all know we can, we can, we can see the things in our lives that we wish would go away. And we're asking the Lord to work on those. But you have to be able to see that Jesus loves you and accepts you as you are. And then you will work on those things. Then you will run with him. And so the first step is simply to take off the mask and to say, I need help. Will you do that today? Will you say, I need help? There is a breakthrough for those who will take the mask off and say, I need help. There's a breakthrough for those who are honest with themselves first. Then they can be honest with God. Then they can be honest with others. And so I would just say, let's take the mask off today. And let's hear the radical, ridiculous, far-reaching love of our Savior for hypocrites like you and me. Let me pray.